Hello and welcome to Creativity Uncovered. My name is Abby Gatling and I'm on a journey to uncover how everyday people find inspiration, get inventive and open their imagination. Basically, I want to discover how people find creative solutions and then how they use them at home, work, play and everything in between. And my goal for this podcast is that by the end of it, you'll be armed with a whole suite of tried and tested ways to summon creativity the next time that you need it. And today I am speaking with Jazz, aka Jasmine Designs, aka the pricing queen. (laughs) And Jasmine is um, someone who I actually saw speaking at a design summit a couple of months ago, and I was captivated, and I just knew that I had to reach out. Um, so I am so pleased that she's joined me today. You're welcome, Jazz. Thank you so much for having me. I uh, I am absolutely honoured, and the fact that you've seen me and you've come back for another slice is actually pretty exciting. Um, <laughs> I really I love doing summits because we get to meet and interact with so many different people from all over the world, and you never know what you're in for when you join a summit, but you always walk away with something extra, and I love that that's, this is one of the byproducts of that. <laughs> yeah, it was good. And it was a and it was a great free online summit too, which means it's accessible to anyone. And so many great nuggets of wisdom came out that day. It was absolutely fantastic. Um, so yeah, so as I mentioned, yeah, I, I saw you present at this thing. Um, and you're known as the pricing queen, and that sort of was the nature of your presentation that day. So I'd love to talk to you about that. But um before we get there you know I followed you on socials immediately after that summit and loving all the stuff that I'm seeing but the catalyst for me to reach out to you and and invite you on the podcast because was that you mentioned something about your view of creativity and what that is and that it's that it's you're creative if you solve a problem in a non-traditional way and I love that. That's <laughs> basically the premise of this entire podcast. So I want to talk to you about that. I mean, how did you come across that? When did you realize that's what creativity is? Let's let's start there. Yeah, I love I love that we're starting here. So yeah, creativity is anyone who is a creative, and I feel like this is such a common thing of like people going, oh no, I'm not creative or I'm not a creative. If you solve a problem in a non-traditional way, you are a creative. You are approaching something that is a problem in a non one, two, three linear way. I actually came across that sentence and unfortunately it was like one of those ones where I'm like, oh my God, that just came out of my mouth cool let's let's roll with it it was actually on my first big podcast on the jasmine star show and she's just like oh well, what are we talking about with you know being a creative and what's it like and i'm like well you know a creative is just someone who solves a problem in a non-traditional way and she just like lost her mind in that moment and i'm like oh okay nugget got it store that away for later <laughs> save that because, yep. yeah because and also it doesn't matter if your creativity manifests with a paintbrush and or a pen or a bomb-ass spreadsheet. It's the solving of the problem in a different um, way. I think the reason why it resonated for me so much in my own creative practice, but I feel like it's resonated for quite a, pe- quite a few people, 
is that we often see the problem-solving process as quite linear, as quite regimented, um, and it's because it's what we're taught in school. Like if you have a problem, you solve it this way. That's it. But creativity is searching for the alternate solutions and seeing the possibility of creating something that didn't exist yesterday that helps someone tomorrow is a really exciting process. So when we're faced with these situations where we're like, oh, we're not solving it in the right way, it actually is that we're just solving it in a different way that is unexpected and unexpected for what we're going in for, as in we sit there and kind of go, I don't know if this is going to work and being comfortable if it doesn't and knowing that we're not failing, we're collecting data to to solve it the next time in a different way that takes that data into into effect like failure is the perfect blueprint for success because it shows you where you don't need to go again it find and you find these situations where you're like ah oh i know that last time that i painted a piece of wood it cracked or it sucked up the paint really a, a lot so that was my failure of not justifying the right kind of paint or the right way to do it before But now I know how to succeed so much easier because I've tested it with my creative problem-solving skills. It's it's just finding the joy in failure and using it to create success. Love that. I think that is so great because that people have such um, narrow views of what creativity is. But if you consider it to be that way where it's an open mind, it's a willingness to uh, be inventive, try, mm. test, fail, then um, anyone can be creative. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. And it doesn't even matter how it shows up as well, because I actually think that we are all in some way, shape or form a little bit creative. We all have something that we get to be a bit creative with, whether it be that you are a career creative so designer creative in that space or a a writer or whatever the creative outlet that you've used to build your career but it also could be as far as anyone who does anything in a different way so you know mums who are cook who are putting together a creative solution to solve the hunger of the children who are crying and screaming and and kicking and and all that um it might be that they she packs their lunch in a different way that makes them smile. That's being creative. It might be that, you know, my dad is a butcher and he gets creative with the ways that he can solve other people's family hungers by using the different parts of the meat to create a different dish or making it easier. My mum then takes some of that meat and makes it into a pre-cooked meal. So solving a different problem for a a busy mum or a busy family that can't cook that night. We're all given the opportunity to approach different situations in different ways. And the only way that we can find new answers is using that creativity that is given to us. Yes. Yeah, totally. So do you think that, do you think there's the capacity to be creative in any role, any career path? I think there's different elements or different ways you can be creative. I think that there are some that don't nurture or foster that as much Mm. because it's not about finding new and innovative ways. It's about making sure that it works well. 
So for instance, um, my partner works in IT and sometimes there is the need to be creative to find the solution to certain problems. But other times it's just about business as usual or making it so that everyone knows about a certain thing happening. Mm. So it's, if you're finding that you're lacking creativity in your job, it might be that you're not looking hard enough or you're trying to be too creative with the things that don't need it. Mm-hmm. It's it's funny because I, I spent like my career trying to find all these ways to be creative in it just to keep myself interested. <laughs> but I actually had a guest on a couple of weeks ago who said, you know, my job is not the place for me to be creative. My job is I do my job and I do it well and I get out and I have the rest of my life is my time when I can play around with my creativity. I was like, that's so interesting that, you know, I was trying to do it one way, he's trying to do it another way. Uh, but that's the thing. It's a whole spectrum, isn't it? It's yeah. <laughs> it's and it's making it way. work for your brain as well. Like, cause it might be that your brain needs creativity to stay on task. So you might find creativity in the process rather than in the execution. I, when I was working as a designer, so before I went full-time freelance back um, 872 years ago, it feels like, but it was only, you know, seven or eight. I was working (laughs) at Rolex Australia. I was processing between 100 and 150 ads per month. I was literally like speaking to publications, finding out what the specs were, resizing the pre-done ads to that size and sending them off. That's not a creative process. That's not a creative outlet. It's literally just resize and send 100 to 150 times. And also they had it all like set up on Microsoft Access and I'm pretty sure they still do and it hurts my heart a little bit. Yeah, I know. Like let's go old school. But it was then finding the creative outlets in some of the events It was then recognizing that it was only three days a week and I could put all of that extra creative energy into my business because that was kind of like my gap year transition from full-time working as a designer into full-time freelance was a year working three days a week at Rolex Australia. And it was definitely, I, I learned the resilience and the processing and the power that comes from being able to do something in a really systematic way because it stops the uh, creative overthinking happen as well, because as great as creativity is, it sometimes can get in the way of actually, you know, doing the thing. (laughs) (laughs) And so we want want it to be like, oh, but I want it to be more creative. What if it could be better? What if it could be better? What if it could be better? And it's like, okay, it it could, doesn't need to be. (laughs) Or does it need to just exist so that we can move on? So it, it's it's about finding the ways that creative creativity works for you in your own system and in your own brain. Mm. And so, what like what um what draws you to creativity? Problem solving. I love a problem. I love a problem. I love to find ways to solve problems that other people don't think of, because I think the thing we do is we think everyone thinks like us, mm. but they don't. I can almost 100% guarantee you that there are people in your world that don't understand how you how you solve problems or how you do what you do. We think that what we do is simple and easy, but it is because we've worked hard to make it simple and easy. I really enjoy problem-solving process because I 
get to use both sides of my brain, the logical side of like breaking something down into systematic process-based steps. And then I get to use the creativity side of things to kind of go, okay, how can we do this better? How can we do this differently? What has, what experiences both micro and macro do I have to be able to bring to the table to solve this problem? So like micro might be like little tests that I've done or similar experiences. Macro might be my experience or wealth of knowledge over the time that I've been a a designer. So it's working out what experience can you bring to the table to solve that particular problem, knowing that it won't be the last time you solve this problem. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, And that's kind of a pretty sweet segue (laughs) into talking about pricing because that's you sort of your alter ego is the pricing queen am I right she is she is definitely (laughs) the alter ego um she came to a fruition Uh, I remember sitting there really really kind of trying to get past the ego that comes from stepping into that because I didn't want to, I didn't want to piss anyone off by owning that, by creating a space where I became that. And I started thinking about the other queens that we know. So in my creative industry at the time, there was the passion project queen, Miss Lauren Holm, and she's freaking fantastic. She's now since gone on to do a of all things uh, culinary, she's gone to culinary school. And so she's using her creativity for cooking now, which is really cool. But she's like a muralist and she was the prolific creator of like online courses and murals and passion projects that then get you paid. And she was just incredible. And then I started thinking about, okay, well, you know, further out from that, what other queens do we know other than the wonderful gay community? But the other queens that we know is Miss Beyonce. And so Beyonce actually has it that she is Beyonce in normal life, but she is Sasha Fierce on stage. And so she's not necessarily Sasha Fierce to everyone, she is Sasha Fierce to herself so that she can show up as that person because it feels like, like we said, the alter ego. And so I kind of went, well, I don't feel like it is such a bad thing to own that because the more I own that, it's kind of like flowing a flag. It's like throwing up a flag and saying, hey, guys, you want help with pricing? I'm going to be the person that I needed when I was back where you were if you need me, I'm here. If you don't, that's okay, but I'll still be here. And so when you're ready, let's work together and find ways to make more money because we as creatives hate talking about money. So I'm going to try and start the conversation to make you feel more comfortable so that you can make more money. Yeah. Yeah. It's a nice delineation between your your design-based work and your pricing based work. Mm-hmm. I think that's great. And I think the the link for me from what you said previously into your pricing was that we I think we always think that what we know about and what our skills are are just sort of taken for granted and we're and we're like, oh yeah, everyone can do this. 
<laughs> but we have done that 10,000 hours. We've practiced, we've honed. And sure, it may take us way less time to do a creative project than someone who doesn't do it every day. And that, but that so that then plays into our minds when we are trying to price our work because you, you quite often try and default into hourly pricing because you're like, oh, well, you know, it only takes me 15 minutes. But actually, it only takes me 15 minutes because I've done it for five five years. It used to take me two hours. Mm. <laughs> so I feel like that was like a really interesting thing you said before leading into this pricing thing. And so now you really do help people with careers with pricing, setting a price and a value to their products and their services. Mm-hmm. I love it. It's It's honestly become such an incredible outlet for me to be able to help other freelancers and designers and creatives. Like it comes back to the whole, how we started this conversation of like a creative is someone who does something different, who solves the problem in a a non-traditional way. I've had everything from, you know, your traditional social media managers, brand designers, um, photographers, copywriters, all the way through to product owners. I had a a baby nappies cover manufacturer. Like she just does them like she hand creates them. So she's a hand crafter. I have just had someone sign up to my masterclass that's happening tomorrow who's a dancer and a choreographer. So I've been really quite surprised and and wonderfully so on the different ways that I can help that I didn't expect. And by doing that, I'm actually helping someone else make more money. And that's so exciting. That's so special. Yes. And you said that this is, you're doing now what you needed back then. So what were you, did you in the beginning struggle with setting your pricing? Absolutely. I absolutely struggle with pricing because I think I fell into the, like the common traps that we all have fallen into at uh, times where we want to we want to make sure that our price is what we believe is fair and reasonable for the client. We avoid confrontation by trying to make the perfect price that fits exactly what they are going to be willing to pay based on the information we have, based on the ideas that we have of what is acceptable to pay. I spent so much time trying to be the right price for everyone. And I've discovered over the course of 15 years, being a designer, being a freelancer for the last 10 of those, is that there's no such thing as the perfect price. You need to look after your own prices and set the prices based on the future of your business, not your client's budgets. Because if you set it based on the client's budgets, you're going to be in a position where you don't exist in the future because you've only been able to serve at a certain level for everyone. So I think a lot of the time we go, okay, I need to set the perfect price for as many people as possible so that everyone can afford me and I don't have to be giving that whole, I'm sorry, but you can't afford me conversation. Because we don't want to be confrontational. We don't want to disappoint someone. We don't want to let them down. And we take that responsibility on. We make it that we are responsible for whether they say yes or no when we're not. 
We're not responsible for that. We are only responsible for making sure that the price matches the way that we can serve and we can show up and we can help them so that we exist in the future to be able to help them. I spent so long kind of like second guessing and going, does anyone know how to price? Does anyone Does anyone know? Like I've got the screenshots of the Facebook posts that I put up of like, Jasmine is unsure how to price this job. Like cringe, like super cringe. <laughs> when we used to do the Facebook groups of like this person is yeah. um, you know, feeling content. <laughs> Um, but I I spent so long trying to do that, but it had to become a process and was necessary for me to understand what that looked like so that I didn't fall into the quote unquote trap of no longer existing in the future because I tried to make my prices suitable for everyone. Yeah. It's, It's amazing how we, the default is to undervalue our creativity and to undervalue our skills and, and, and our prices reflect that. It's just amazing. Like, why is that the default for us? Like, it just, it's the default because we feel guilty. We feel guilty that we enjoy our job and they don't assumptively, assumptively, (laughs) because you know, if they're coming to us to to hire us, they've asked for help. So how can we deny them of that? How can mm. we deny them of that by by charging them? How can we deny them of that by charging too much, quote unquote, too much? Mm. How can we be so selfish as to hold back our creativity by putting a price tag on it? Mm. Mm. My friend, my listener, in your ears, do you hear how ridiculous that sounds? Like it is, it sounds so ridiculous when you articulate it, but it is definitely the thoughts and feelings that come into our brains when we're having to put a price tag on the access to our genius. The fact of the matter is creativity is a luxury item. It is a hill I will die on. Creativity is a luxury item. You can just as easily sell anything with black and white printed piece of paper. But the creativity is the colour that makes someone look, that makes someone buy, that makes someone interested and convinces them that they need it in their life. You can easily print out on a piece of paper with Times New Roman or Comic Sans if you really want to, that you've got a product for sale. But if that flyer is designed by a creative who is helping you solve a problem, sales, but also promotions, marketing, brand awareness, conversation starter, but also facilitating solving a problem for their customers too. Like that's that's a luxury item. So it needs to be charged for and priced accordingly. Mm, mm. It's funny, isn't it? Because I think like as you go on throughout your business, you get more and more comfortable having those money conversations and more and more confident that you can you're adding a huge amount of value through your creativity and your service delivery but there's always those times where you've gone you know sort of gone through the quoting process and someone's like ah oh, don't worry i can just do it on fiverr anyway or i can do it on canva bye yeah and you're like oh god that's so sad but then afterwards i'm like well actually they probably wouldn't have been a great client anyway do you know if they if that's how much they value 
what I'm bringing to the table, (laughs) they probably were not the right fit anyway. If that's how much they value you when you're currently free, because before they've paid, they haven't bought anything. So if that's how much they're valuing you at free, they're not going to value you when you charge. Mm, So true. (laughs) And it sucks. And it sucks because we can sit there and see the potential and see the abilities that we have that they are missing out on. And we're like, wow, that sucks for you. Like that sucks for them to not be able to access the genius that you can bring to the table. But that's a them problem. That's a them problem. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it, it feels uncomfortable the first time and a little less comfortable, a little more comfortable the next time and a little more comfortable the next time. I won't say that I'm completely comfortable when people say no to me now or tell me that I'm too expensive because, you know, I get told I'm too expensive probably on a weekly basis generally. Um, But I also have situations like this morning when someone signed a $14,000 branding package. Like, (laughs) <laughs> oh, I laughed so hard because I'm like, what do you mean you said yes? What? What? Okay, cool. Wicked. I'm, I'm, I'm excited because I know how exactly I'm going to solve this problem. But it didn't always, it wasn't always like that. Mm. And it all comes down to confidence, not just my confidence in the way that I communicate with my customers and my clients, but my confidence in my abilities my confidence in the way that I know I can solve the problem and if I didn't this time, I will next time. Mm. And also the confidence that I need to instill in my customers and clients to know that I can solve it. Like Mm. every single investment that any person makes in either someone else's product or service comes with an inherent risk. And so it is my responsibility in those first few interactions with my customers, whether they be directly with me or with my website, with my socials, with my content, with my emails, however they've interacted with me before, it's my responsibility to show them that I'm qualified, to reduce their risk factor, to make them feel more comfortable that if they spend money on me, I will help them make it back. Hmm. and probably double it, if not triple it. And finding that, that's really important because those people who are on Fiverr and who are on those cheaper experience websites are riskier. And I've seen the risk play out. I've Hmm. seen friends of mine who have gone with a logo from Fiverr only to be sued two years later because they stole it from another designer. I've seen friends of mine create an entire branding package and go to trademark it and realize they don't have ownership. I've mm. seen them have to rebrand three years in because they found or discovered that either the logo doesn't suit their business anymore, it hasn't grown with their business, or it was improperly acquired, whether through a stock shot or through a different way and now they have to respend but they're no they are in no way shape or form going to spend the same amount because hell no are they going through that again so Mm. they will invest in something that is a higher option and so Mm. if we sit there 
and we go, oh, well, everyone else on Fiverr is, or, and not to be Fiverr bashing, look, it, it has its merits, it has its relevance, it needs to be there so that we don't get the clients that expect that from us. Mm-hmm. But when when we set our prices the same as those kind of higher risk options, we put a flag in front of our store saying we're just as risky. Mm-hmm. You can expect the same from us. Damn. Why would someone buy that? <laughs> it's, yeah, it's funny because I think like it's part of what you're saying is us placing value on ourselves but it's also having a conversation with the businesses and saying you need to place value on yourself as well, that you deserve this creative service at this price point. Sure, mm. you can go to Fiverr, but don't you think your business deserves worth more than that? that? Yeah, yeah. That's wild. I, I always do um, warn people of people. <laughs> I don't quite often get people going off to Fiverr. When I first started you know, there was always the punters, but I was going, yeah, of, of course do that. Just please make sure that if you want to trademark in the future, you may not be able to do that. <laughs> yeah. And that's, and that's a great um, practice to adopt because you're not only saying not a problem and being gracious about it and going, look, not a problem. I'm probably not the right one for you. That's not a problem. Mm. Um, but when you do that, please look out for these things because I would hate for, and you, you've, you're, you are communicating their best interests at heart, even though you're parting ways. And mm. sometimes those come back and sometimes mm. they come back to you when they have earned it, when they have earned that level to access that. Mm. A lot of the time when we do discount, lower our prices, try and make sure that we are the lower, cheaper option, people who believe they have achieved a higher level will say no. Mm. And then we devalue that for them. And that's not fair. That's not fair for us and that's not fair for them. It's an opportunity for you to go, well, I don't want to do this for less. I don't want to have to rush the process so that I stay under budget. I don't want to have to cut corners in my own processes so that I fit within the dollars that have been allocated because there's nothing worse then looking at the budget and going, I don't, I can't do more than this. Otherwise I'm losing out on money. Mm. And yeah. it, and it sucks. Like stop trying to do a logo in 10 hours. I'm sorry, but a logo takes time and takes effort and takes development and takes energy. And if you're rushing that process so that you can stay cheap, that's not going to get you far. Mm. And I think like if you articulate that back to the client saying it is this expensive because we don't want to rush it. Mm. <laughs> what are they gonna what are they gonna say? Oh yeah, no, I think you should brush it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, no, that's, that's where you would yeah, client education has to be part of your processes. And a client a good client education process, and I'm not just talking about, you know. This is how I do my work. This is how this happens. And then I'll take it into the sketch phase and then I'll put it into this and then I'll put it into Illustrator. I'm going to use vectors. They don't give two shits about it. Sorry. But (laughs) what they want to do is know the process from their side of things so that they've got that trust factor, right? Mm -hmm. And so then you would say and articulate to them, look, we actually really make sure that the colours that we're using 
are specifically chosen not only to articulate what we're trying to do as a brand, but also fit into things that we know are important. For example, contrast guidelines for websites. I've seen so many times where people put together a color spectrum for a brand and you then translate it into the rest of it and it's like, oh, yeah, that doesn't work. Like everything is the wrong contrast or it doesn't follow guidelines. Um, Anyone who doesn't quite understand. Um, So contrast guidelines, it's WCAG, I think it is, um, where it needs to reach a certain ratio on your website to be able to be readable. And if it's under that ratio, it's then non-compliant and makes it so that it's actually really difficult for anyone to read whether you are of standard reading capabilities or not. Mm. Um, and it it infuriates me because when we cheapen the work, we have to cut corners and therefore we might not check that. We might use a font that actually can't be used in commercial experiences or we might choose colours that can't be reproduced in print. Like there's colours that can't be reproduced in print but can only be um, reproduced in digital and vice versa. So it's our responsibility as the creative professional to make sure that those are followed. But if a client comes back to you and says, oh, why is this so expensive? It's because you have to do those processes to be the most professional to be able to charge professional rates. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's that whole thing that you don't know what you don't know and then <laughs> so then, and then you find I'm out like, all the things you don't know and you're like oh, yeah shit. <laughs> and then it's like, oh, so overwhelming so you sort of need to give your clients a little indication of all these things you're taking into consideration which justifies all of that stuff mm-hmm. uh, oh wow there's so much there is so much rich content here <laughs> jazz and you are uh, you're always helping people with this with webinars and all types of things tell me if people want to know how to better value their creative services what what can they do how can they work with you yeah for sure so I know that we've talked a little bit about hourly rates and how they are not necessarily the best way to do business but you do need to know the value of your time to be able to justify running your business so I actually have a pricing calculator a free pricing calculator that helps you calculate the exact rate that you need to be putting on your time it starts with the salary that you would be making, adds in the expenses of running a business because you didn't have to worry about that when you were employed. You do need to worry about it now. And then reallocates the hours that you have that you can actually bill for. So it starts with the salary, add in the expenses, and then divide by the time that you actually can charge for. And it, this calculator actually pops out the exact hourly rate that you need to be using in your calculations to then start working out what to charge your clients. So anyone of the podcast gets a free uh, pricing calculator. So if you head to creativebusinesskitchen.com slash uncovered, you can access that pricing calculator to get started in that process. Otherwise, come join me on Instagram because I am literally always there and I serve so many different um, food for thought, interesting uh, takes on different ways of being a creative, as well as I am a bit of a freebie guide giver. I love to give information. And then I do a monthly masterclass as well. So come on over. I'm a, your pricing queen on Instagram. Yeah, definitely, definitely worth it. And I'll I'll pop the link to the pricing calculator and your socials and everything like that in, in our show notes. So don't feel like you guys have to remember all of that right now. <laughs> I can practically hear people frantically writing that down. <laughs> um, but 
Geez, thanks so much, Jazz, for for joining me today. That was um, a fantastic conversation, and there is so much more to talk about. But yeah, do head on to her socials to find out um, all everything you need to know about pricing and making sure you value yourself. Um, and I also want to say thank you to everyone who has tuned into Creativity Uncovered today. Um, I really do hope that this episode has inspired you to start to realize your true value as a creative. Um, and always that it helps uh, summon your creativity the next time that you need it. If you've made it this far, a huge thank you for your support and tuning into today's episode. Creativity Uncovered has been lovingly recorded on the land of the Cubby Cubby people, and we pay our respect to elders past, present, and emerging. This podcast has been produced by my amazing team here at Crisp Communications, and the music you just heard was composed by James Gatling. If you liked this episode, please do share it around and help us on our mission to unlock more creativity in this world. You can also hit subscribe so you don't miss out on any new episode releases.